We have come in John 6, the bread of life discourse, and it was born out of the feeding of the 5,000. Um, verse 47 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. We kind of ended in verse 48 where it says, I am, King James says that, it's, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that if a man eat thereof, and he will not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread I will give is my flesh. I will give for the life of the world. And the Jews therefore strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink Indeed, he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So he's going to kind of enlarge upon and wrap up and bring to a, a verdict this issue of the bread of life. He had mentioned I'm the bread of life in verse 35, but here in verse 48, he, it's just those words, I am the bread of life, and it is one of seven of those statements through the Gospel of John, the I am statements. And it's interesting here because it's, in, it's in, called emphatic, and what he's saying is, I am myself, the bread of life. I am alone, the bread of life. I am in counter distinction to all others, the bread of life. And it's, of course, speaking to the world today. As we look at this, realize most of this is in red letters. He's still talking. This is something he had to say. And understand he's saying it through the quill of John, but John's the last writer. All the epistles are done. Everything else has been written when John puts his quill to the page. And all of the challenges in the rest of the scripture are there. And Jesus says, in light of all of that, understand. I myself encounter distinction to all others. I am the bread of life. 
He says in verse 49, Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and they are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that if literally any man eat thereof, shall eat thereof, that he will not die. So he says, your fathers, not my father. He's going to say that as he moves through the teaching, my father. But here it's your fathers, plural, did eat man in the wilderness, they're dead. In contrast to that, if any man eats of the living bread, he does not die. He doesn't say as he goes through this that, and here's the interesting thing, is, at least to me, Sorry. And, and as, you, as you journey through this, there's a number of places where the, the grammar is any man who eats or drinks of me, and it's in a tense that means once and for all. And whenever he uses that tense, he's talking about salvation. You, you never need to be born again twice if you partake once and for all. People have been sitting around your life for years listening to you talk about Jesus. They've never done it. But once you do it, once and for all, you have eternal life. Then the rest of the tenses will talk about anyone who is is eating, eateth, and is drinking, drinketh. That then there's the feeding on Christ then in our relationship with him. We're only born again once. But then there is that communion with him the rest of our lives. And that's kind of all built in here in a remarkable way. And he uses bread as the metaphor. Look, he's gonna, he talks about living water. You go through the scriptures. There's, he's the shepherd. There's lots of metaphors, anthropomorphisms, a lot of those things through the scripture. But here he's talking about bread. Now, bread is mentioned over 330 times in the Bible. And here he's talking specifically about the bread of life. When you go through the Bible, you'll find the, be- the bread of tears. You'll find the bread of sorrows. You'll find the bread of wickedness. You'll find the bread of deceit. As you go through the Bible here, he's specifically talking about the bread of life. And to them in this culture, understand bread was the staff of life. Everybody ate bread. You know, that's before gluten intolerance and uh, celiacs. You know, this was before it was glyphosate and all of our uh, wheat and so forth. This, everybody ate bread. And he, and he uses that metaphor then to speak to the world, to the unbeliever then, to the world now that there isn't anything else that's going to satisfy. He alone is that bread from heaven. There's something on the vertical that nourishes and satisfies that never will exist on the horizontal. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Manna was supplied miraculously, that's for sure. But it didn't come down from heaven. Manna never existed in eternity before God created the world. It was something he produced in the wilderness to meet the physical need of his people being led through the wilderness. And that's all it did is it met the physical need. The bread of life meets the eternal need. 
He says, your fathers did eat manna because they said to him, well, show us the sign. You know, uh, Moses gave us manna in the wilderness. The context is he just fed 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fishes that were produced in the same miraculous way that the manna was in the wilderness. And now they're saying, well, show us a sign. He says, look, your fathers... They ain't man in the wilderness, and guess what? They're dead. Moses is dead, Aaron is dead, Joshua is dead, everybody else who ate man is dead. And some of them were eternally dead, sadly. But he says, but I'm the bread of life. Anybody who partakes of me shall not die. He doesn't say we won't experience a physical death. What he's saying is we will not die spiritually and eternally if we take advantage of that. Now, and again, look. This is in a troubled world. Paul tells us, or the Lord tells us through the quill of Paul, that Jesus was sent forth by the Father in the fullness of time. In other words, God looked down from heaven and he looked at humanity, and the world was being crushed under the heel of Rome. It wasn't socialism, it wasn't communism, it was a dictatorship. And you had to say Caesar was Lord, and, the, and Rome crushed the world into submission. No First Amendment rights, no Second Amendment rights. Nobody could do whatever they wanted. And God looked down at it and said, this is the perfect time, the perfect environment, the perfect culture, the perfect time. And he sent his son, who is the light of the world, into one of the darkest periods of human history. And understand, as we look at what's going on around us, one of the things you're seeing, you're just seeing people eating all the wrong things. There's an innate hunger in human beings for something. They try to satisfy that with sex or drugs or alcohol or power, with politics, with cultural you know, equity with, you know, peace with globalism. You know, if we could only be on the same page, all of our problems would go away. You, you can ask Cain and Abel about that. You know, it's a small page. You know, two different opinions create murder in this world. So, but, but all of the, we look around us and that's what's happening. And, and, and we've always already heard, the church has already read Romans. The church has already heard Thessalonians about the coming of the Antichrist. The church has already heard, you know, that in Second Timothy, that the last days are going to be perilous because there's going to be men will be lovers of their own selves, lovers of power, lovers of money, you know, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, wanting to hold the form of godliness. They, they want to say, hey, we have the right to be a church, we have the right, but deny the power of it, the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's already been written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is, you know, take to yourself. Many, many will come saying, I am Christ. You will see wars and rumors of wars and famine and pestilence, deadly infectious diseases and earthquakes in diverse places. But see that your heart is not troubled, neither be afraid. So he's still speaking to us today. That he alone is the bread of life. And that hunger can never be satisfied on the horizontal by trying to fix everything or make everything the way we think it should be. Look, we're, we're to be good citizens. Paul wrote to the Ephesians. He, he wrote to those in Ephesus in Christ. We have two addresses. We're the saints in Philadelphia and in Christ. But all of our problems are in Philadelphia, not in Christ. 
And we only do Philadelphia any good if we're partaking of that living bread. It's the one singular, I alone, there is no others, and counter distinction to all others. I alone are the bread of life. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness, and they're dead. You think it's just miraculous? What I just did with 5,000 people plus women and children, same way it was produced, miraculous. But I'm that bread, and it's coming down from heaven. It's still coming down from heaven today. And if a man, anyone, not your fathers, anyone, eats of this, he says they'll live forever. And then he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Now, all of that is eridus. If someone eats once and for all, they're not going to die. I am the living bread which once and for all came down from heaven, that if any man eat once and for all of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh which I will give voluntarily for the life of the world vicariously. You know, he's giving not just that the Jews would live. He's saying here, for the world. Interesting picture. It's for the world, he says, that this is taking place. And look, it's red letters. Mine's red letters throughout. This is something that Jesus is saying. It's something he's still saying today. We see the, the world can wear us out. We watch the news. We see what's going on around us. And people are thinking, if I can be free of this, I'll be happy. If I can make this thing happen, I'll be satisfied with it. You know, we have places now where they're saying, you can give birth and then you have 28 days to decide whether you want to keep the child or abort the child. Places where the leaders of the free world forgot to produce formula. So if you survive the womb, you may not survive that. And if you survive that, get into kindergarten, there's drag queens there to greet you when you come in. Look, this is insanity. It is pure evil. It is pure evil. But those people thinking, if I have something here, if I can have this, if I can express this, if I can be, you know, received by the culture, if I can do this, I'll be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied without Jesus Christ. Never. It's never going to happen. You know? Look, and it's interesting, the harder someone works the hungrier they are. We talk about working up an appetite, right? Or, man, I'm thirsty. You get thirsty enough to drink out of a garden hose and put up with that rubber taste, you know. Working hard. Look, you, you, you look at the world we're in, we should be working hard. It may weary us. The question is, are you working up an appetite? Are you longing for the kingdom? Are you longing for the return of Christ? Are you longing to step into glory? Are you longing to see the end of war and the end of cancer and the end of injustice? Are you longing for genuine life? Is this insanity around you working up an appetite? It should. And we're here in some ways in the darkest time of human history. In the fullness of time, the Lord saw that you and I should be here now for such a time as this. 
Our sustenance is never going to come on the horizontal. It comes from Christ alone. That's our future and our hope. It's the only place that we receive those things and, and where they come from. And he says here, and what I'm giving this living bread is my flesh. And he says, and I will give it. And there's an expectation in that. I will give my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Look, all kinds of people, you know, the, the living bread coming down from heaven. Uh, he gave himself. We're told this in the first chapter. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Yes, he's the bread that came down from heaven, but he came down from heaven for a purpose. If he'd have just come down from heaven and nothing would have happened, that would make no sense. He came down from heaven to give his flesh. And when it speaks of flesh, it's talking about something sacrificial. The Jews would understand that. The Jews would understand it. John, when he writes further in his first epistle, John says this, He says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, even now already is in the world. In 2 John... He says this, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So that's that's what goes on around us. People don't want to hear there's only one way. There's only one bread. They want to eat their own bread. They don't want to hear this bread that came down from them. They don't want to hear there's been this sacrifice. He's given his flesh and he did it for you because you're a sinner and you need forgiveness. They don't want to hear that. But this is the statement that he's making so loud and so clear. He says, if any man eats thereof. Now look, verse 52 tells us this. When he talks about coming, giving his flesh, it says the Jews there, they strove among themselves saying, and here's the big question, how? How can this man give us his flesh to eat. That's the argument that's still going on around us today. Religious people haven't stopped. Critical people haven't stopped. They're still arguing. You're telling me that you're born of a virgin. He came down to earth. He died on a cross. And we can all be forgiven. You know, this is the same argument. How can that happen? Why are those people saying that? What is this born again stuff? Who do they think they are telling us what to do? Who do they think they are telling us what marriage is? Who do they think they are telling us that we were created and we, we didn't evolve? Who do, we, who do they think we are telling us that we should all love each other you know that still argument is going on all around us and they say how how can this be you mean there's only one way to be saved that's too narrow maybe too narrow for you i'm glad there was a way or i wouldn't have got in i'm glad there was a way jesus then answers that and he says verily verily truly truly 
I say unto you, and, and I say there is in the present active tense, truly, truly, I am saying to you. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with Calvary Chapel. This is an individual relationship. And it says here, he's speaking today, presently. And if you're here and you've never come to Christ you're not going to get there through church. You're not going to get there because you sit in a pew. You're not going to get there because you take care of orphans. You're going to get there by doing all these things. You have to come and partake of Him. And He, it says here, is saying that right now. It's not an audible language. It's not a human language. It is a language of the heart that no one can deny. Wherever they are in this world, whatever culture, whatever native tongue they have, it doesn't matter. Verily, verily, I am saying unto you, except, there's no options, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, now that's from Daniel 7.13, the Messiah, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You don't have any life in you. Now, very interesting in verse 53 there, if you look, except you eat Eridus once and for all and drink Eridus once and for all. Verse 53 is talking about conversion. There's a once and for all change your life eating and drinking. That's when you first come to Christ. Then verse 54 says, whoso eateth, the E-T-H on the end, and drinketh tells us, Presently, whoever is feeding on him, appropriating him, taking Christ to themselves and their own heart, that that's something we get saved once, but then we feed on Christ through our entire pilgrimage while we're waiting for him to come. And it says, whoever is constantly eating on that, appropriating this bread of life and drinking of my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up. At the last day, it's the fourth time through here he's saying that, that he's going to raise us up. It's a a passive, you don't have nothing to do with it. He does it. He's going to do it. The last day, which begins with the raising up of the church. The day of the Lord. So here he says some interesting things. Look, if any man eat, any man singular, this is highly personal. Your wife can't eat for you. If you don't partake of Christ, you'll die. Your husband can't eat for you. You have to do it for yourself. Kids, your parents can eat for you. That's because your mom and dad's born again. That don't mean you're getting into heaven. Flesh and blood cannot partake of the kingdom of God. Because your kids are saved. That doesn't mean you're getting in. Because your best friends are born again. doesn't mean you're getting in. He says to the individual... He says, that partakes. Verily, verily, say unto you, singular, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, except you do that, you have no life. Look, I may admire bread. Okay? I love sourdough bread. I love pumpernickel. 
certain things I, I not that I'm fussy and don't eat everything else that calls itself bread, but you know, uh, you can admire bread and die of starvation. You can philosophize about bread and die. You could sit around and talk about world religions and, you know, universal, universalism. You'd work all through all that stuff and still die of starvation. You can handle bread and get crumbs all over your hand and die of starvation. You can talk about bread. You can see a loaf sitting there and tell everybody what's in it, what kind of nutrients are there to do that, and die in front of it. This is highly, highly personal. The table can be spread with all kinds of delicacies, and unless you partake, you have no life. You're going to die. He says, they say, how can this be? He says, truly, truly. I am saying, still saying it today, except, no exceptions, except you eat once and for all of the flesh of the Messiah. By the way, some of the early rabbis said the Messiah was to be eaten. Eating and drinking amongst rabbinic Judaism before Christ, they said that's keeping the law and doing good works. So they understood metaphors. He said, except you eat my flesh and drink of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you don't have any life. Whosoever, though, not just Jews, because he's dying for the life of the world, whoso eateth my flesh feeds upon continually and drinks my blood continually, hath, is in the possession of eternal life, and I will raise him up, at the last day. So you and I, it isn't enough to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, you go to Calvary Chapel, it doesn't mean nothing. Are you as an individual regularly, continually feeding on your own relationship with Jesus? To eat is to assimilate, to, to, ha to have it become part of you. And that only happens in personal Relationship. No, it can't happen in any other context. Are we doing that? I will raise him up. What a wonderful thing. At the last day. Now look, eating his flesh and drinking his blood is not talking about communion. You know, there are major denominations that want to take this and turn it into transubstantiation that when we partake of the Lord's table, it actually becomes the literal body and the literal blood of Christ. Well, first of all, communion don't save anybody, or I'd have been saved when I was 12, not been a rascal until I was 22. Uh, that's when I took my first communion at 12 years old. It didn't save me, didn't change me. It wasn't until I partook of Christ himself. Again, Gospel of John this is at least a year before the Lord's table is instituted. Gospel of John tells us nothing about the institution of the Lord's table. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. John does not. 
The word flesh, he says, unless you eat my flesh, is not used in 1 Corinthians about the Lord's table. It's not used in Matthew, Mark, and Luke about the Lord's table. My body is mentioned. Nowhere is the word flesh used. Christ is addressing unbelievers here. The Jews who are unbelieving that I asked them the question. This is not, you know, the communion table is for believers. It's for, it's not for, it doesn't change the unbeliever. That's not what this is talking about here. No Jew listening to him thought, oh, this is about the communion table. None of them thought that. He's addressing the unbelievers with these challenges about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh continually and drinketh my blood, that person dwells in me. They're, they're, they're remaining in communion with me, he says here. They're, they're in constantly assimilating me. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood and dwelleth in me, and, and I in him. Then he's taking me in. He's ingesting me. He dwells in me. I in him. Verse 57, he says, And as the living Father, now we want to listen to that. It's the only place in the Bible the phrase the living Father is used. New Testament, the phrase the living God is used 14 times. But there's nowhere else in Scripture where this phrase, the living Father, is used. And it's Jesus, the one who's come down from above, who uses it. He says this, as, this, it works like this, as the living Father has sent me. And I live by the Father, so he that eateth of me, even he shall live by me. Tells us three things crystal clear. One is the Father lives. He's alive. He's the living Father. Second thing he tells us is because the Father lives, the Son lives. And the third thing he tells us is because the Son lives, the believer lives. You know, if... All of God's delight is in His Son. When we partake of the Son, when we eat and drink of the Son, the, the Father's delight is in us because the Son is in us. We've assimilated Him. He's become part of our internal being. doesn't mean we're perfect. doesn't mean we never make a mistake. But daily, give us this day our daily bread. You know, that we're, we're partaking of Him. It's not just physical bread. Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is a spiritual eating and drinking he's placing before us here. And he says, this is that bread. That's what he's telling us. Which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. Yes, manna was miraculously provided, but it was only to sustain physical life, traveling through the desert. He that eateth, feedeth upon the bread. this bread, I am the bread of life, shall live forever. These things he said in the synagogue in Capernaum, 1866. Capernaum's rediscovered, 1981. The synagogue is uncovered in Capernaum. And when we take the tour of Israel now, 
They've excavated down and found the original black basalt floor. You know, the, the synagogue is there, third century, but the base of it, the foundation, is first century. It's the floor of the synagogue that Jesus taught this lesson in and healed people and did there. So he's in that synagogue. He's, he's teaching, and all the evidence for the reality of that, the archaeologist Spade has, has confirmed to us once again. And it's his concern, look, it tells us here he's still speaking. He's still saying these things because you and I can so easily get caught up in so much that goes on around us. Look, we're born again. We have a great sense of what's injustice, what's bigotry, what's pride, what's murder, what's war, what's greed, what's pornography. How are our children being maligned? All of that is around us. And we respond to all of that because we're believers. We have light. But fixing all of that is not which satisfies the deepest part in our being. The globalists think that. If they can get us all on a page, reduce us all to the same thing, all to a number, that there's going to be no problems. Again, they need to sit down and talk to Cain and Abel. But Jesus is saying to you, I want you to understand, I, I'm here. I, I'm still speaking today. And it's only as you partake of me, you're going to have life. You're not going to have life because you fix everything around you. I came forward in the fullness of times under the heel of Rome. And you're living in much the same day. And what will truly satisfy you is me. And he tells us that because he loves us. He's not trying to make us all the same. We're all different. If you don't know Christ today, we're going to give you an opportunity at the end of the service to change that. To walk forward as we worship and say, I want to eat. I want to partake. I want to know Jesus. The world is unraveling. And I want something eternal in my heart. And look, he addresses you as an individual. There's a, there's a reason why Jesus is saying these things to you. Not to everybody around him, to you. You know, Kathy and I have four children, adults now. And they're all different. Joanna, Mike, Josh, and Hannah in that order. They're all different. But here's why I love Joanna the most. Her sensibilities, the way she's able to navigate personality, she has a great sense. Her commitment to the Lord, the way she's raising her kids. That's why I love her the most. And the reason I love Mike the most, <laughs> we're kindred spirits, still water runs deep. I listen, I learn from him. I watch what he's doing in his home. Joshua, why I love him the most. He's the gentle giant. He's never going to find a home in this world. He's tender. This world only abuses that. 
he has something cooking inside of him that's wonderful. Hannah. The reason I love Hannah the most is because Hannah can slice you and dice you and you'll thank her for cutting you to ribbons. She's the nicest truth speaker, you know, you're ever going to encounter. I mean, I watch her with her kids and think, man, I wish she was my mom, you know, when I grew up. You know, just, and she's so sweet (laughs) that she can say the truth without bending it at all and cut you to your heart and you want to thank her. Oh, thank you. You're so wonderful saying that, you know. And look, the reason why Jesus wants you today, if you don't know him, to hear this teaching he gave and is still giving on the bread of life is because he loves you the most. He loves you the most. You don't have to be like any other human being on the planet. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're wrestling with, he's able to do that. He's God. He loves you the most. And he's watching you perish. And he knows you're eating and drinking in all the wrong places. And he's still trying to get through to a lost world and say, No, I'm the one. I came in flesh. I died in flesh. I gave my life so you can be forgiven and you can live. I'm the only sustenance for you. And my heart is broken watching you run with the world and its emptiness. If you've never come to him, he loves you. He's inviting you today. Not me. You can hear him in your heart. Not Spanish, English, Russian, a heart language that is heard in every language around the world, every nation. And if he's speaking to you today, we're going to sing a last song. We'll worship together. If you're hearing his voice, we want you to come. He's going to tell us in John's Gospel, any man who comes to me, I'll no wise cast out. Anyone who confesses me before men. I'll confess him before the Father and all the angels in heaven. No man comes to me, he's going to tell St. John, except the Father in heaven draws him. Is he drawing you today? Is he asking you, you need to make this stand? We take stands for all kinds of other stuff. Take your stand for Jesus today. He loves you. He's speaking to you about eternal things. And wants to make it incredibly personal. Let's stand. Let's pray together. And again, if you don't know him, it doesn't matter what you've done. He he saves Saul of Tarsus, who's murdering the church and blaspheming God. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what your sin resume is. Cain killed half the world. You come today as we worship. If you hear him prodding you in your heart, your friend that brought you is going to say, come on, come on, I'll go down with you. You come. Standing here, you're saying publicly, I want to partake of this. I want to know him, not religion.
I'm tired of the emptiness. I'm tired of the struggle. I'm tired of the guilt. This is all true, Lord Jesus. I want you, and I want your forgiveness, and I want life beyond the grave. Let's pray. We'll worship. You listen to your heart. You come. Lord, I I know that um, you've heard this, Lord. You've given us this passage of Scripture. You probably listened to this taught through the centuries in so many places, and probably many places this morning in, in different parts of the world. Your church is looking at these verses. But here, Lord, with us right now, we pray you would touch the hearts of those who have never come, Lord, who need to eat and drink for the first time once and for all. And, Lord, you would draw them this morning to yourself, and they would come and stand publicly acknowledging, Lord, that decision. And for all of us as your sons and daughters, Lord, forgive us for eating in all the wrong places sometimes. Help us, Lord, work up an appetite for the, for the vertical and not the horizontal, Lord. You know what we're asking. You alone understand that fully. And now, Lord, hear our voices, hear these words that we lift to you. Let it, Lord, rise before your, thro- your throne as a sweet savor, Lord. We pray you would be blessed as we sing these words. We pray in your name. Amen. Mm-hmm.